This week, we are joined by spirit specialist Beth Havers. Beth is a leader in the whiskey world, both here in Canada and worldwide. We talk with Beth about the many different worldwide regional nuances of whiskey. We discuss some of the new techniques that are being used in production, the impact of published reviews and ratings, as well as touching on some of Beth's personal favorite whiskeys. We also talk about the whiskey baked bakery that Beth started during the pandemic, Aunt Beth Bakes which you can find online at antbethbakes.com and at various farmers markets in the greater Toronto area. You can also just check the show notes for the link. One last note, we are taking a couple of weeks off for summer vacation time, so the next podcast will be in about two weeks or so. Enjoy this week's show. Welcome back to the Industry Podcast. My name is Kip. This is Dan. What's going on with you, buddy? Uh, just hanging out, uh, just enjoying this crazy summer heat yeah, from the warm. insides of my house in the mm-hmm. air conditioning. Yeah, we had Blues Fest at the bar all weekend, and it was gross. Oh, nice. And I'm not even just talking about the music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at least it didn't rain, though, over the evenings, right? Uh, it rained a little bit yesterday afternoon, but not enough that we had to cancel anything, so it was good. It was No, I'm just kidding about the music. It was lots of good acts, and we were busy, so that was nice to see for a change mm-hmm. after COVID. And uh, hopefully we stay open with all these unvaccinated idiots shut us down again. <laughs> then I'm going to lose my shit. Well, our case numbers are rising slowly but yep. steadily, so we'll see how this goes. But it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a completely selfless act of like, yeah, well, other people are doing it, so I don't have to. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, right. Let, let the other people get vaccinated. I, I, I don't think it's for me. Yes. <laughs> Not my jam. No. Had it. Get your shots like everyone else. Be responsible. Mm-hmm. All right. Enough of that. Okay. So we have a great guest as always. Beth Havers is going to be joining us in just a little bit here. She's famous, so you've probably heard of her. <laughs> and then we, uh, we'll we get a little bit of the housekeeping out of the way. If you like the show, you should uh, support us by subscribing, rating, post a little review. It just takes a little bit of time and it helps us out a great deal. Mm-hmm. If you want to be on the show, you can email us at theindustrypodcast.club. Oh, info at the industry podcast. Yeah, I, don't even, I don't even know our fucking email. Yeah, I'll put a link to that <laughs> in the show notes. Once again, that's info at the industry club. And this is how you know that Dan is the true brains behind the operation. Well, I don't I just, know brains. <laughs> I just show up and uh, shoot my mouth off. I just write stuff down and refer to my notes. Otherwise, I'm yeah. done. You can also DM us at the industry podcast on Instagram if you want to be on the show. As always, a big shout out to Zach Hanna at Zach Hanna Design for all the great artwork he has done for mm-hmm. us. We should also um, mention that you should be checking out the archives. We've had a lot of good conversations lately. What have we uh, What have we had recently? We had uh, Laura Nielsen last week. That was a really fun one. Correct. And prior to that was responding to online comments and reviews. Oh, yeah. That was just me getting drunk and ranting. Yes, that's correct. Uh, and then we had uh, John Rennie, John McPherson, Julie McDowell. Oh, you, part one and two. Yeah. Aubrey K. Slayer, part one and two. Angela Ayeo. Alyssa Dunn and Alexis Tinoco and Sarah yeah. Pontiac. All great conversations. Mm-hmm. You should check them out. We've been doing this for what What episode are we at now? This is episode, episode number 74. Jesus. Okay, so 74 episodes to catch up on if you yeah. haven't done it yet. And if you haven't listened to any of those episodes, I don't even know what you're doing. Okay, <laughs> enough about us. Let's talk about somebody else. Beth Havers is with us. Thanks for joining us today. Beth, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. Yeah, and I appreciate you doing it today specifically because you probably have heat stroke after coming from a tasting on a golf course all day. Yeah, it's warm. It's, yeah. Uh, this, this summer has just been like, 
either raining or crazy hot. I know it really yeah. sucks, but we finally got a patio at the bar, and then it's like it's almost you can never sit out there. So awful, brutal. Okay, well, why don't you tell us a little bit about what your job is, and and yeah, we'll start with that. Like, what is it that you do? Okay, so I do a, a lot of different things currently. I. Okay. Uh, I first off, I have a whiskey bakery, so we make whiskey cookies. It's a wonderful partnership with a ton of different distilleries. Um, so that's part one. Uh, I operated a commercial kitchen, and then we are selling at ten different farmers markets in around the GTA. Oh wow! Hmm. Um, yeah, so that's been fun. And then otherwise, I'm still doing a lot of whiskey tasting virtually still i have not yet done one in person um so i do a lot of virtual tasting and i also do virtual tasting with monica from the culture we have a partnership where we work together to do cocktail classes where i talk about spirits cocktails and i do consulting on startup distilleries oh wow that's cool um yeah so uh, what are some of the distilleries that you've consulted for are you allowed to discuss that <laughs> I'm, I'm well so i've talked to a lot with spray spring mill and guelph so Johnson's uh, distillery. Mm-hmm. um i've seen some things that they're doing and then another one in scotland which is uh actually rum and they're from north so you're basically a spirits expert, but do, do you have a specific focus on whiskey more than others? Yeah. Yeah. Typically, uh, that's all I really talk about. But of course, I know about spirits. I've been pretty whiskey centric for the past 10 years or so. So really what I focus on and I find it uh, so fast. So yeah, I still do some wine stuff, some with some other spirit stuff, but predominantly. So how did you get into this? Like, what, where did you first gain your love of whiskey and decide that maybe this is, you could turn it into a career? Whoever knew that this could be a career? Um, hmm. I lived in Scotland after university. I was there for a few years, started drinking whiskey then, came back. I continuously was applying at Diageo when I was living abroad because I just thought it was magical place to work so when i came back one of my friends actually worked for diageo so she, i managed to get in there uh starting in 2005 and i went into sales and they wanted me to sell high-end wine um and they had a wine portfolio and spirits so i started taking my sommelier courses i finished those like back then so it's been a really long time yeah and then, yeah, so started working on premium spirits, wines, and uh, eventually became their first ambassador for Kettle One Vodka. And that was until I left Diageo in 2011 and went over to William Grant and Sons to work on Glen today. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so I, you don't still, do you still work for that? You don't work for any of those companies no, anymore? No. I, I work for, I work in conjunction with a lot of different companies, but no, I, I now I solely work for myself. Nice. Okay, so obviously living in Scotland for a little bit or being in Scotland for a little bit, you're going to gain a love for whiskey. That's sort of where it probably started for you. Where did what, what was your first dram that really turned things around for you where you were just like, oh, damn, I just love scotch? So it's kind of funny. I, I actually first tried Glenfiddich. That was my first whiskey. And then I started kind of experimenting. The first distillery I went to was in 2003. That was Alistair. And that's really when the love kind of uh, and then been growing ever since. Uh, I've been fortunate enough that with working for Glenfiddich, 
for as long as I did. I was back and forth to Scotland quite a bit, so I see a ton of different distilleries. But that's pretty much where it all sprouted. I never would have thought that this is the path that it would have been taking me down, but I'm pretty hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you, uh, well, let's talk a little bit about, um, so you're, you're, you're back and forth in Scotland and you're going to all these different distilleries. What's the coolest distillery that you feel like you visited? So I went to Orkney. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. That was a, a great trip. We went to Scapa, which you don't really get to like, have a chance to see Scapa often. Um, and we also went to Highland Park. Um being a little bit biased to the William Grant distilleries, obviously I love them, but Balvenie, as far as an experience goes, you can kind of see right from grain to glass how whiskey's made, and it's very much still a small operation despite the, the, the amount of whiskey that they're making. Otherwise, I I had a chance before COVID hit to see the new McAllen distillery, which I thought was amazing. I've been to um, Isla a few times, uh, really love Ardbeg. I'm a big fan of mm-hmm. pretty much all Isla whiskeys, but just Glenahabin uh, was awesome as well. Really, mm-hmm. really cool kind of eerie distillery, but yeah. Yeah, that's cool. You've done a lot of them, obviously. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, when you're doing, so there's, okay, so you get, you obviously develop this huge love of scotch, and uh, and I assume this then transfers to all other types of whiskey as well. Like, did it start with scotch for you, and then you sort of moved into other stuff? Probably started with Canadian whiskey. Okay. Um, when I was in university, my boyfriend at the time, his father had started an alcohol company. So we started, started like summer rep, flying minis to larger bottles. So um, at that time, we had the selling right to Golden Wedding. <laughs> oh, yeah. My first experience with Canadian whiskey was with Golden Wedding, which I really, really like. Uh, and then sort of kind of go, like, obviously at that time, like, Picking CC, Crown Royal, all those kinds of whiskeys. A lot of uh, like Brian Coke, Brian Gingers, and then, but yeah, probably Canadian whiskey is where where it started. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, so because Scotch is sort of uh, where he likes to say sort of an acquired taste, but you sort of got it early having yeah. <laughs> been there. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're going to do a tasting for something, like, when you're doing your reg- uh, uh, tasting for a regular group, I assume they're all a little bit different. But uh, do you have sort of a format that you go with? Do you like to like walk them through sort of the different regions, or is it, or is it more based on brands? Like, how do you generally do it? Yeah, I mean, it really depends on your audience. I always mm. like going into it because now, especially everything's been kind of able to gather a lot of information about the group that you're giving tasting to have it right there in front of you so i mean if they're a novice group who's not necessarily used to drinking whiskey you kind of have to educate like through like how you know the whiskey but the most important thing that i think that i do with tastings is make sure that you're drinking kind of right away right (laughs) like listening to somebody talk for and they're like can i drink now oh no wait a second yeah yeah so you start them off with a drink and then sort of start talking yeah then you get into it yeah so yeah because i've done a couple of these myself and i've tried that method as well the only thing that sometimes where it backfires is then by the last tasting they're all too drunk to listen as well, <laughs> to anything you're saying, anyway. And like in public, I just went to a whiskey tasting in person, and like the like the, the volume level, like first drink, everyone's polite and listening, and by the time they get to their fifth dram or whatever, it's like 
okay, and now it's time for me to end this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, just like, yeah, your descriptions get a lot shorter, and it's like, yeah. Cheers, yeah. guys. Enjoy it. <laughs> So I, have, I always tell this story, like I have a friend who decided that he was missing out on olives and he, because he hated olives. So he trained himself to, and I don't, I always just like, what the fuck do you care? You're in your forties. Like, you don't like olives, just don't eat them. But he was, <laughs> he was so sure he was missing out on something. So he trained himself by eating olives every day to develop a palate for it. So a, a lot of people, I always equate that with scotch because it's like, something that you sort of really do have to develop your palate to really appreciate and a lot of people don't like it when they first drink it so if you were to recommend to someone like my friend who feels like they're missing out on scotch how would you develop their palate like what would be your starter scotch to get them into and how would you go from there uh yeah so i have obviously encountered this problem a number of times yeah i don't like whiskey i'm like there's so many different whiskeys and mm. you know, sometimes your first experience is going right to an island with smoke. Like, yeah. I completely can't dive right in necessarily. So I always find like starting with things like lighter and towel, whether it's Poland or Case um, I whiskey, or even trying like Irish whiskey to start off with. Like, Irish whiskey is so soft and so palatable that, like, that's a good kind of gateway into whiskey as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, and then kind of taking it from there. But I obviously wouldn't get, say, "Oh, you've never had a whiskey before." Okay, here's a leg of England. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? I know. Stuff right in there. But. Yeah, it is funny how people don't seem to like. It's with any almost anything else you try, like with wine, you got to develop your palate for certain things. With um, with beer, even now, like like if you're just trying beer for the first time, probably wouldn't recommend like a hoppy, super hoppy IPA to them, right? And but people seem to understand that. But with whiskey, it's like whiskey is whiskey, and I don't like it. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's a huge blanket statement there mm-hmm. where there's I'm like there's so many different kinds, and I can guarantee that if you spend enough time with me, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a whiskey that you love, right. I still have friends I haven't convinced, but a lot of people, you know, have made their way, thrown them away into this world. Okay, so talk to me a little bit about, at, at some point you were, you got a pretty distinguishing, uh, a, a distinguished uh, title here. This, um, you were Whiskey Magazine's Icons of Whiskey Ambassador of the Year. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, that was in 2016, I believe, I got that. Surprised, had no idea that that was going to happen. I uh, was out at a bar and they started get, like looking at it and like, got this. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that was awesome. That was a really super fun, and obviously I, I got to go to London and sit at the award ceremony and everything. So that was that was really fun and a, a great honor. I totally think ever ever my life but yeah it was super cool yeah that's awesome and like do you find that there are a lot of women in your industry doing that because whiskey is sort of like an old boys club from the jump right so like I I feel like you're probably a bit of a pioneer in this um, industry but are are there more women yeah now there's a ton of different like a a ton of women in the industry uh, which is great I would say probably looking back like 10, 15 years ago when I was started working like beverage alcohol, there definitely wasn't as many women. Mm-hmm. Um, but women have like have such great palates. 
also very willing to like like everyone she has a whole willing to experiment and try different things more so than people may have been in the past so yeah being tons of women tons of amazing women tons of women distillers i was talking to a gentleman today on the golf course and one of his his daughter actually was one of the distillers for uh diageo networking at crown royal and so great to hear you know seeing more more and more women get get involved in this this industry so Mm -hmm. being representatives of the brands right to filling um women across the board Hmm. And okay, talk a little that that's amazing and it's good to hear because like I said, like when I was kind of growing up in um, the industry, like every whiskey rep that I ever talked to was a man. So <laughs> so it's good that we're seeing some changes on that. Um, how would you uh, what how, like how do you distinguish being an expert in this field from like a, a perfectly made whiskey and a glass of horseshit? <laughs> <laughs> Like, what are you looking for? Like, you know, I just, like, with, uh, like I know more about wine, but it's like the, like with wine, you're looking for you, the, the, you go through the nose, palate, finish, right? Like, sort of the standard thing, the color, like all the things you look for. And then, so what's yeah. what? What do you look for in a glass of whiskey? Same kind of thing applies, right? You're gonna look on the, like the nose. Does the nose carry through to the palate? You know, what's the alcohol? So a lot of people can be like, oh, I don't like this that filtered or aren't half strength enough. I love all of them. So I actually think like there is something good to say about every single whiskey that I've tried. I haven't tried very many where I'm like, eat. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not eat. But yeah, I think you're just looking for it it's also subjective to what you like. Because what you like maybe to- it's gonna be totally different. Not necessarily always like, Right. So I find like also don't judge it. Never look at like a whiskey and say there's no age statement it's not good because that's totally not true um mm-hmm. the past aging and using different types of oak uh they can do wonderful things in a shorter period of time now so yeah never judge a book by its cover i guess you could say and yeah just kind of, i think it was a little bit easier back in the days where we could go to whiskey shows and you know try several over the course of a few hours and kind of get a real taste for it. But I think that that's the kind of the key is, again, people say that they don't like whiskey, they just haven't found the whiskey for them. But I think every whiskey that presents itself to you, give it a chance, try it a few times. Don't uh, ever kind of right away. Right. Okay, so I, you were mentioned this about uh, ways that they can distill great whiskey in a short period of time. One of those ways is like using the smaller casks, right? So that's been a pretty controversial topic in the whiskey industry, as, as much as you can get controversy in this industry. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, just between that and fake Pappy Van Winkle. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, talk to me a little bit about your opinion about the whole that whole idea of distilling in smaller casks so you can age it quicker. Well, yeah, I think that like I, there's a lot to be said that there is more wood contact. I know Hudson Distillery in, in New York, they were actually using quarter casks and then putting them next to the speakers so there was vibration. Oh, really? Vibrating, you're getting more contact. And I just thought that that was genius. Mm-hmm. I think you really kind of have to get away from the old school ways of thinking about things. Because it is, uh, we're developing our palettes. Uh, we want to see more things that come coming from these facilities there's such a huge demand right now that obviously 
traditionally I wouldn't want them to age something too quickly, but seeing things like those kinds of experiments come to light, that just makes for a really interesting story. It would make for a really interesting whiskey. So yeah, I have anything that people want to do with regards to whiskey, I, I think it's like their game. that's a good that's a refreshing um attitude because there are so it does seem like there are so many again going back to the old boys old boys club about it where it's just like no that's not the way we do it that's not the way it's done and therefore it's not proper whereas to look at it in a way of sort of like well who says who like let's try some shit right like you know like they do it in every other walk of life like People come up with new ideas and try new things, and and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But when it does, that's a good thing. Absolutely, and I think like how how will the industry ever change if we're just going to stick to old traditions? Like mm-hmm. old traditions are great and they're there for a reason, but we kind of have to move along and see see what else we can do. But there's such wide possibilities, and I mean in Scotland particularly, there are there is a governing body that is kind of. A for and against certain different types of tasks being used. Uh, but I think that they're kind of loosening the reins a little bit there. So we might mm-hmm. see more interesting scotch expressions come out. In Canada, we're really lucky because we have... No uh, rules? <laughs> Almost. That's correct. Uh, yeah. I mean, we have a, like an eight, you have to be aged for three years, but yeah. we all have the opportunity to introduce 9.09% of another spirit or fortified wine into our Right. Uh, which can really result in some interesting products being released out there. Mm-hmm. So. Now the flip. Sorry, I, I, I actually yeah. got a question yeah. about the cask size. Yeah. When you guys say smaller casks, like what's the regular size cask, and how much is a smaller size cask? Well, I'll let you handle that one, Beth. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a traditional, like a hogshead, like an ex bourbon barrel, can be anywhere from two hundred to two hundred and fifty liters, uh-huh. and you can get into casks that are like fifty liters. Oh wow, so, so that much smaller. Okay. Yeah, That's they're little tiny babies. They're really mm-hmm. cute. <laughs> so that so you mentioned Hudson too because they had that product product Hudson baby bourbon, yeah. For, that was really delicious. Is that why they called it that? Yeah, I think it's from yeah. the baby barrels. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that that's some good it, shit. So if that's that that's working. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We used yeah. to have the we used to have that at uh, the rabbit. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Should get out of that thing when, when, <laughs> when, you, when the boss wasn't around. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> so the flip side of that, of course, with when you're talking about Canada, is that you do you can also though there's a lot of shit on the market, like just not good whiskey because there are like for instance with bourbon, very strict rules with how you would make a new white cast and age three years, whatever it is. Is it three? So it's They're three. kind of lax about the number of years. But they also have like totally different climate, so it's warmer there. So yeah. Say that you're getting more from the cask in a shorter period of time. But they have their 51 percent. 51 percent corn, yeah. Yeah. So, and we don't have any of those rules. Right. As the aging, cask size, like alcohol, like ABV count that as well. Yeah, and obviously there in every category of spirits there are going to be things that you're like eh, that's not so good mm-hmm. um but i mean it's all again totally dependent on you like people will say oh you know i like so-and-so is that wrong i'm like why would it be wrong <laughs> well i know and i'm glad you said that too because it's like i i get that a lot too when i'm at um 
when I'm doing tastings for people or if I'm just like at a party talking because people think I know shit. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm, really, I'm really doing a good job disguising that one. <laughs> you got that right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so they'll ask me questions about it and then they're like embarrassed about what they like. And I was like, I know, I know. I, like, I'm not fancy like you. I just like to drink this. And I'm like, well, if you like it, then how can that, how can that be wrong? Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, there are wrong answers, but I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> like, I, it's like, yeah, it's like, no, I just really like if somebody says like I really just like a like a Cosmo made with polarized, then I'm gonna judge you. But <laughs> but but in general, like I like to, like if if you like it, it's then that's that's what you like to drink. It's like people don't judge you the same way about food. I don't think you know what I mean. I think that because alcohol is elevated, like they or, or a better way to put it. They don't judge you about which soda you like to drink. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if you say I like uh, PC Cola better than I like Coke, they'll be like, okay, well, I disagree, but whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. But with, with alcohol, people feel embarrassed. And I think it's because, like, people, just like in any situation, if you don't have the knowledge, then you automatically feel like, well, if, if somebody who's studied this drinks this, then I must be doing it wrong. Yeah, and I felt like, I mean, there's spirits in general, wine, a lot of people are just intimidated by it, and, like, just generally speaking, especially if you walk up to a whiskey wall and you're like, I have no idea. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what I'm looking for. So I think it can be, like, it, it definitely is an intimidating kind of, like, well, particular, but it's definitely intimidating for some people, which that's what we're trying to dispel is the intimidation and yeah drink what you like drink it how you want it to mm-hmm. like oh don't put ice don't put water I'm like not your drink <laughs> yeah, I, I, I used to be one of those guys, and I realized I was just being an asshole. But, like, because the, the truth is... You know, just, just that time? Well, no, many times. <laughs> just about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, the, but I, it, because it's true, like, drink it how you like to drink it. Like, if you like if you like it colder and watered down, great. That's how you like to drink it. That's not how I'm going to drink it, but that's up to you, right? Like Exactly. Like on a day like this where it's like 40 degrees out and, you know, yeah, sure. Throw some ice in your whiskey. It's hot. Yeah. Yeah. In in Argentina, they like to drink wine and pop together. So wine and Coke. So and they love it. Yeah, they love it. Yeah. So whatever, whatever floats your boat type thing. Right. Like, I think I think that it's nice to have a little less judgment on that side of it. And I think that that is and you like, well, I'll ask you, do you think that that is something that as we've gone as as we moved on in time, less old boys clubs, et cetera, like this is becoming something that's a little bit more accepted, like where it's like drink it how you want it and drink what you want type thing. Yeah, I think that like the the lessening like there's no more rules necessarily mm-hmm. uh, people are a lot more open to actually listening to what people are like they know what they're talking about today like yeah don't have to way um try it a few different ways and then see what you what, what works best for you right yeah so like, oh, i like one group. great mm-hmm. do that <laughs> Uh, so one of the other things that like, well, I always say that like the, when I took wine courses or whatever, the best thing that it taught me was how to buy better wine cheaper. That was the best lesson I learned from all of it was just having, like, having that extra knowledge, you were able to like, okay, I don't need to shop in California when I can shop in South America, right? <laughs> and get an equal experience. That is something that also intimidates people about whiskey because they think about scotch, like 
holy fuck, like, I can't even afford to get into scotch. You know what I mean? So for our listeners, maybe talk to us about a few whiskeys that you think, like, a Canadian, an American, an Irish, and a scotch that are, like, good value buys for people. For sure. I think there's so many in every single um, category. Again, yeah, because it is an investment. Like, you're going to go and spend $50 on a bottle of alcohol. You want to know that you're going to like it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's your starting, you know, you're like, you go way up from there. Right. Um, so like in that, in the scotch category, for example, there are um, a number of non-age dated and a number of age dated that are also great. Um, obviously I work with Glenfiddich. They have a 12 year, the Glenfiddich 12 year old, amazing. Singleton again from Spaceside, great value. I think it's under 60 bucks. Uh, oh, Glenlivet, same sort of deal. You know, you're, you're very accessible price point. Um, if you move into like Isla, now there's a five-year-old from Ardbeg that's in around $70 price point. Yeah, I haven't um, tried that yet, uh, but is it worth it? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. very, very good. And that's the interesting thing too, is with age statements, they were like bold enough to put a five-year-old Russian, like eight, like, people like, oh, what's that going to be like? It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, Bottle Hours, really, I mean, there's just so, there's so many. And then like, if you move over to I- Irish whiskey, more do nominal whiskey Jameson I have writer's tears like they're all right, yeah. in a very accessible price point and then if you're going to spend a little bit more money red breast 15 year old one of my favorite whiskey I agree and I'm not a big Irish whiskey person but the red breast 15 is fantastic like so good I'm so really good. into I really like the green spot and yellow spot too exactly and those are all coming from middle like so the same distillery producing all of them the interesting thing about Irish whiskey is there's tons of new distilleries that are opening up. So, like, Kuling now has a um, that are, are coming out. Uh, and we'll just see more coming out from Ireland because that it, that industry is really, really growing. Bourbon, geez, like, there's, again... Yeah, so- bourbon's, bourbon's cheap already, right? Like, unless you're talking about, like, Pappy Van Winkle, which is delicious, but is phenomenally overpriced. It's not... Yeah. Like, there's... with uh, In my opinion, there's bourbon that's just as good as Pappy Van Winkle that's, like, literally a fraction of the price. Yeah, that's just a collector kind of cult yeah. whiskey, right? So yeah. It's, uh, but, I, I mean, I, I love Maker's Mark. That's mm-hmm. really, like, my go-to in that category, just as a British, like, really nice... Four Roses, so good. Well, oh, thank you for saying that. For like, for like a classic table bourbon, Four Roses yeah. Yellow Label bourbon is like, like it's it's as good as anything you're gonna get, really, and it's so reasonable. Absolutely, mm. and well, yeah. Then Canadian whiskey, I love Canadian whiskey because I mean, where we are, we really have to support our our local here, but. There's a lot of really interesting shelter points, uh, which you can't get here in Ontario yet, but that's a place in BC. Two brewers in the Yukon are doing like single malt, mm. really, really crazy, great things. But like, I love Canadian Club. I love Crown Royal. Like, I, I love all of them. And then, then now they're doing a lot more experimentation where they're doing like age statements or finishes and that sort of thing. Lot 40, great. Um, lot 40 is great, yeah. Yeah. There's a, and now, like, we're starting to see small distilleries pop up with with whiskey now because for a number of years, they could only make gin and, and vodka that's just waiting for that time. But mm-hmm. a lot of really cool things coming out during Canada. 
Yeah, it's true. There was a time where I think like whiskey snobs who lived in Canada were kind of like, no, the Canadian whiskey. But now it's like there's so much good product out there now that it's kind of it's kind of come back around. So the flip side of this would be like, what would you consider like a big baller bottle of whiskey that's actually worth it? So many of them. Yeah, because you you can't. Uh, it's hard to find a lot of the older older whiskeys that like the deal still typically they're kind of limited in what they bring in because mm-hmm. they are if you're looking to spend like four hundred Portwood is amazing. That's a twenty one year old. I just last week I was at a tasting for Dalmore. The cigar malt was really good. Oh, I fucking love that whiskey. Uh, It's it's so delicious. Like that. That's that's honestly one of my favorite whiskeys on earth. I just love it. What's that one again? The Dalmore cigar malt. Oh, that's so good. Good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go with Beth on that one. If anyone's listening and you can afford it, get that. It's really really good. And then I mean, I think like. Glen Farkless has some really good value, older whiskeys that are um, great. Honestly, there's so many of them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I put you on the spot a little bit there. So, but uh, yeah, uh, like we I, we had John McPherson on a little while ago, and he was talking about we we got into a discussion about how like people look down on blended with scotch for so long, and now people are realizing that obviously that's there's so many delicious. Um, uh, blended scotches out there as well. What's what's one of what are a couple of those that you're into? I love John McPherson. He's great. Yeah, he's a good dude. <laughs> uh, yeah, we we work together, so he's a a real he's awesome. But as far as blended goes, Johnny Walker, twelve year old, like Johnny Walker Black, twelve year old, great. If I mm. if I get people into drinking blends, like if I'm doing across the board tasting of blends. I like that's just one that I think for me stands apart. It, it's really, really great whiskey. Then there's great finishes. Like Ranch obviously has some different finishes on their blend as well. Awesome monkey shoulder blended malt. So that and Johnny Walker Green. Interesting kind of different blend. I love I love that one too. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, we also got into talking about Compass Box. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's so many good ones from them. Doing and yeah, there's one of the people who have really kind of pushed the limits there when it comes to, and they they've had their hands slapped in the industry a few times, but like it, that's more so the things that the industry kind of needs, like compass box, kind of do things a little bit different, you know, like mm-hmm. and really kind of push things. Jill. Boyd, who is there now, is uh, I've known him for ages, and and that's like another female leading the charge over at Boston. Um, but yeah, they're doing tons of things. Yeah, it's 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 funny because I think yeah, historically a lot of people are like yeah, I don't drink blends. Like, well, you're missing out on a lot if you're going to have that kind of attitude towards anything, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true, actually. And uh, it's just so prevalent when you're talking about, when you get into, like, what we were referring to either, like, people who are kind of drinking snobs. Like, this is like, oh, I, 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 would, I, I don't touch anything from, you know, 
like a wine from Chile or I want like because it's not from California or something or or France or Italy or but or it's same with whiskey it's the same it's sort of the same attitude for so many people it's like I don't touch blends or I or Canadian whiskey or whatever and then you're kind of like well you're just missing out on a whole bunch of crazy interesting shit like <laughs> 100 and, and the thing is 90 percent of the whiskey that is consumed from Scotland is blends point like so either like I don't believe you <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> or uh you're like you're as you say like just m- missing out because everybody drinks that like Lens is a great place, especially to start, because you can kind of approachable. They're they're affordable, and uh, yeah, they're great on their own and great basis. Uh, yeah, I know you've mentioned a couple already, but what are some sort of newer distilleries that our listeners should keep an eye out for? Oh, geez, newer distilleries. Scotland has a lot of interesting ones. As far as there's one called Nickian. I went there years ago, a couple years ago. They were just producing like a gin-like spirit. Now they're just getting into single malt. They're doing everything uh, with a very kind of green, like focus on it. So everything, everything looks with what they're doing there here in Canada. Spring Mill, I would say for sure, they're doing um, different types of cask Like so, they're using different types of casks to really kind of experiment. And they built their distillery very much in the style of the Scottish distillery. So they brought their, still, their stills over from Scotland. Um, the spice stills. They have wooden washbacks. It's really cool. And you, you can go and tour it. Well, it's very accessible. Um, so there's that. Again, in BC, Shelter Point, another one. I'm trying to think of other smaller distilleries that have, are, are coming up. Think that's bit. okay. That's a good number of them there. I, I, we, we just really need some new stuff to try while we watch wrestling after the show. So, yeah. <laughs> are you a big wrestling fan? Oh yeah, this is a this is a very pro pro wrestling yeah. podcast. Awesome. I'm not sure if you've spoken to Bry Simpson yet from Ardbeg, but he is like the ultimate wrestling fan. Oh, is that right? No, we haven't. Can you hook us up with him? We'd love to talk to him because we can get mix some wrestling into this. <laughs> that would be our dream show. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, but yeah, yeah. he's Glenn Morangy and Art Bag, and he's again huge wrestling fan. Well, great, Linkus. We want to do that show for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, one other thing I wanted to talk to you about was Japanese whiskey, and also maybe the myth or rumor or fact you tell us about the the Japanese effect on scotch and and the price of scotch and us running out of scotch. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, like, I mean, the Asian market. Yeah. 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 I think that is true. Like, I mean, it's a supply and demand kind of thing. A lot of age stated whiskey, those require a lot of time. So, yeah. if all of a sudden there's a boom wherever it, it comes from in the world uh, and then everybody buys it, then of course it's going to raise its price. Mm-hmm. So, uh, they can kind of slow that down. But I, that, I, I mean, that has happened. I think that a lot of distilleries kind of fix that issue. I think. Some by releasing more non-age statements, and I think we have caught up there. Japanese whiskey so hard to get. Mm-hmm. I had worked a bunch of Japanese whiskey, and it was next to impossible. But hopefully, the interesting thing with with everything that like everything that they're doing in Japan, their oak is phenomenal. Like it, mezzanera oak is just a, has a beautiful effect on whiskey, and they don't 
they'll, they'll keep those casks. So other distilleries are trying to get their casks for like finishing or whatever, and they just won't give them up because mm. they don't have that many of them. And uh, it's, it's something that makes them really unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that now the world as a whole has a real thirst, like pardon the pun, for Japanese whiskey. So I think we'll start seeing more things coming out of Japan uh, and just hopefully they'll start making a bit more of it. Yeah, so it's so hard to find. So hard. I, I drove all around Ontario trying to <laughs> Yeah, I, although I will say compared to like 10 years ago where you literally never saw it at the, uh, like at an LCBO or something like that here in Ontario, like you, it was just it, like it wasn't even something like I didn't even know that it was really a thing. Because we, oh. we we never saw it now. Like, uh, there's always at least something at some Japanese whiskey at the LCBO, whether it's the best of the best or not. But yeah, I, and I mean, like on the ble- like, so I think Toki is a, a general list now yeah. at the LCBO, which is a great Japanese blended whiskey. Um, and now they are obviously there's a real demand for it, so they're bringing in more, but they just come in and go out, just like any. Yeah sought after whiskey it's so frustrating where you're like i'm so gonna get that and you're like ah what's what's the one that does the coffee one oh god that's good yeah uh so i think that one of the nika like i think that they're bringing something else in now ish that will be a kind of more readily available actually was just messaging with them today about i'm like yeah um so yeah i think as i said like now that the lcbo is really kind of for other liquor boards or see that there's a huge demand hopefully we'll start seeing more and more of them but yeah the neat neat like because we just do really really well centauri like they're so centauri is really good too yeah yeah. when we're talking about the the aged whiskey and the the, uh, japan did like they it became a huge thing like I'm, I'm a record collector from way back in the day and there was a stretch where once ebay developed all of a sudden like it, record collecting became much easier and it, it there was at the beginning it was great everybody was just getting records from all over the place without having to go to physical stores and dig which you lose some of the fun sure but you can get a lot more shit and then all of a sudden there was a boom on that and then there was nothing available right so we're talking about like that's sort of what happened when the japanese got scotch crazy and is it not is that why i I think that that's why mccallan ended up doing non-aged whiskey for the first time is that right yeah i think the mccallan is like they obviously had to mitigate like like and fix their problem because mccallan is a huge collector's whiskey um, mm-hmm. so I think, yeah, they, they introduced in certain markets, they had non-age dated whiskey. Uh, they didn't, like, they kept age statements on in the U.S., whereas here we got, like, the rain, like, the ruby, Sienna, Amber, whatever it was, yeah. 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 So yeah. since then, they have now fixed that problem. Now we're seeing more age, like, now they have 12, 15, and 18 that's now re-entered the market. So I think for a, a short time there, like, it's it's want to be able to release whiskey uh, mm-hmm. so more cast experimentation coming from them but yeah it, it, now we're starting to see that I think that will all and people collect whiskey the value of whiskey has gone up by 288% in the past 10 years holy shit <laughs> um, and a lot of people are just buying these to collect them right they're buying them to sit on them and resell them fuckers <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, I tell people though, like if you're into collecting something, sure. I, like wine is kind of you can go it, it can go off like there's so many things yeah whereas yeah collecting from a, a notable distillery like a, like something that's well known is I mean really good there. Like, I yeah really yeah like I mean I, I to me booze is for drinking I don't really get yeah. I've never I've never really been gotten got the whole idea of collecting wine either and having a giant wine so like I mean certainly. There is a notion behind like a, a certain vintage of a wine. It's better to let it age for a little bit. Blah blah blah. Whatever a certain grape, but with whiskey, it's they already did the aging for you, so it's ready to drink, right? So yeah, so just just drink it, people, <laughs> or, or or give it to someone who will. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean that that will help. I'm sure, people serve. Sort of, we don't want them to drink it too fast because then we might run into that same sort of situation again. But yeah, it's been interesting to see how things keep developing. Yeah. Well, drinking it too fast, I think, runs into the blackout situation. <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah. Uh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> certain cultures that like literally will take a cork and like throw like throw it uh, like in, in groups of friends or whatever. You know, you're opening that bottle of whiskey. You're finishing that bottle of whiskey night. Yeah, yeah. That, hap- that happened to me with the first time I actually got my hands on a Pappy Van Winkle 23-year-old, and we drank. I was like, I finally got one, and we drank it all in the same evening. It was no real- way. Yeah, it was smart stuff. Yeah, well, I'm a real smart guy. Yeah. <laughs> well appreciated, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, especially by the. Look at us. Yeah. <laughs> um, you said out of curiosity, like with regards to both of your palates, are you more like, are you more Scotch? Or are you more Irish, bourbon? I started with Scotch, so that's always like my true love. For some reason, I got into Scotch first, and then I moved into bourbon afterwards, just because it was a cheaper alternative. And I realized that they were doing great stuff with bourbon. So those are my two big loves. Um, but uh, single malt is always my favorite. Like the, and I was like sort of my big three is like Ardbeg. Balvany and I love Highland Park. Highland Park, Highland Park, eighteen-year-old, one of my favorites. Oh God, that's good. <laughs> and for yourself? Uh, yeah, I like Scotch as well a lot. That's what I got into drinking as well first. Um, bourbon, I got into uh, probably not too long ago, just only a couple of years ago. So, uh, but in terms of favorites, ooh. I think Dalwindy still is one of my favorites mm, from Scotch-wise, just because that's one of the first ones I remember drinking and one I'm drinking a lot. So just taste-wise, it's something I've always really enjoyed. Not so much into the peaty scotches, mm-hmm. despite how much I smoke. <laughs> that's uh, That takes time, though, right? The yeah. peaty stuff is like... It, it does. Yeah. It's also like the phenols, and uh, I love peaty whiskey, but it gives me headache. So yeah. I, I don't know what it does. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about was a lot of... Uh, countries are now making single malt whiskey. Of course, they can't call it scotch because it doesn't come from Scotland. But there's been a major boon in that. And, like, uh, I don't know how everybody feels about, like, someone like Jim Murray or whatever. But, like, him putting, I, like, he, he has a very specific palate. And then he tells you what the best whiskey is based on his own palate. So that's an issue. But the only reason I'm bringing him up is because I remember it being a big thing when he put, like, a Turkish whiskey, Emirate Fusion, on his not like that's his number one whiskey of whatever fucking year that was because who cares but but it was a big deal because yeah. Uh, yeah and and now you've got like Cavalan from Korea 
and like all these different countries that you ne- would never think of like oh yeah I'm going to go to Turkey for whiskey like that are now doing the, like talk to me a little bit about that effect and and what's that, the effect that's having on the whiskey industry yeah as much like I can't say anything good about <laughs> good good I appreciate but, uh, it <laughs> like, uh, the people do and have and do take what he says quite seriously and it has good effects on that industry so like this year or last year in particular when he seriously got called out for all the things he should be called out for but he had one of the Alberta premiums mentioned as the whiskey of the year of course it's he always picks whiskey that you can't get. <laughs> right. Well, didn't but, he, I remember he did the Crown Royal Harvest. Yeah, yeah. Was the one, uh, number one. Yeah, one. So, but like, so yes, another whiskey, which at the time they didn't, they had no clue how quickly that was going to sell. There was mass area trying to get it was these. crazy. These yeah. Whiskeys. But what it does is it does good things for the industry. If anybody's talking about it and mm. it gets that kind of my number one, like number one, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but it does good that like it, it's good to see some light being like like put on that those particular areas. Like so now like you're starting to see more whiskeys from India, more whiskeys. From oh, sorry, I kept saying Turkey. Amber Fusion's Indian, right? Yeah, yeah sorry, exactly. that's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but you're starting to see and like French whiskeys, and I just had a call with somebody the other day with they were doing a whole bunch of. I'm like I've never tried one of these, so yeah, it was definitely really interesting. Like, it's interesting to have any kind of writer or whiskey person endorse an area that you might not necessarily try because it might open up for surprise. What do you think is? Like, I, I kind of would like to talk a little bit more about that as well. But like, what do you think has caused this sort of uh, boon in sort of these countries that you didn't think uh, that you wouldn't naturally think of? for whiskey making whiskey all of a sudden yeah i think that that's just right down to the public love of whiskey right now i mean whiskey's been around for thousands of years and like everyone can make it i think we as a society are now willing to try more things mm-hmm. uh, we're we're definitely a lot more open than we were, say, 20 years ago. Where it's like, no, no, I don't drink cocktails. I don't drink, you know, like we're we're really kind of opening our eyes. So I think that now people who are like, huh, we've never tried to make whiskey. Why don't we give it a go and and see where it lands us? And I think that the world of whiskey is in a really exciting place right now. So I think we're going to start seeing these places that you've never really historically thought. But why not? Like, yeah, there's a like. I remember when, when I was with them, Fittick, we did a captive stream. So it was my first like, project in 2011 ish, where we rolled casks around all of Canada and then we finished, we got to go find them, and we, we finished a, a 14 year old whiskey in that cask. But we did it here in Canada, we did it in the US, and then at, or they did it in Russia as well. And like, when have you ever had a, a Russian oak aged whiskey? Like, yeah, and it crazy. Was so yeah. Good. Yeah. So like, huh? Never would have thought of it, but I'd like there to it is. Stuff. Yeah, that's why that's why I felt about Cabland the first time I tried that. That stuff is unbelievable, and it's like you don't think of Korea as a place where you're going to be getting delicious no. whiskey from, but it's amazing. Why um, not? Like, yeah, sure. 
Well, I mean, they all have, everybody has this. Well, I mean, of course, there's certain, like, if you can grow certain crops in your areas, that helps. But, like, I mean, we all have access. Any country can build a distillery. <laughs> so why can't they? Yeah. Everybody has wood. Everyone yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Everybody does. But, uh, like, here in Canada, I know that there can be some issues with our oak because it's apparently very porous. So. so I just wanted to dig a little. We'll let you go soon because you've given us a lot of time and we appreciate it. But uh, I, I just want to dig it a little deeper into the whole Jim Murray thing just because we started talking about well so I equate it to like the point system they have for wine right and there's a lot of damage that can be done with a system like that but what the good stuff it does and is that like somebody who doesn't know as much about wine it's it's a way to narrow things down for them Right, when they go shopping at a liquor store. And that is sort of what this Jim Murray list does as well. And like you said, it can bring attention to maybe distilleries that deserved it that wouldn't otherwise have gotten it. Tell us what you think the damage those lists do. What the damage not getting a good point? Or like like a list, like Jim Murray's stupid fucking list that he does every year. Like what kind of damage does that do to the industry? I don't know whether it necessarily does damage. I think that anybody that puts a... Like, I think that it's one of those things that as a society, we kind of look at it needs to have an award Mm -hmm. to be worthy of buying it. Mm -hmm. So, and his, I don't know whether you've ever actually flipped through one of those books, but like, like an odd point scoring system where I'm like, where are you even getting? So for me, like, I don't like rating anything Mm -hmm. because you are you and I'm me and we're all going to taste different things. So I think it can be like, somewhat damaging because I think sometimes like oh well it only has a 80 as opposed to a 90 in Jim Marie's whiskey bible we don't want to buy it or mm-hmm. like even as far as like liquor boards may not even want to bring it in because of like it doesn't have enough kind of clout behind it so yeah I guess it can be damaging I think that as a, I think that we are starting to be more open and maybe not looking to point as much but like i mean you see it everywhere like stickers like yep gold medal here or whatever yeah Yeah. and it's and it's all a palette thing right and and even like these books like i like i'll buy them or whatever sometimes i read them like oh however 50 whiskeys you need to try before you die well that again okay the great entrance level to somebody doesn't really know that much about it but it's just one fucking person's opinion and we all have different palates Mm -hmm. so maybe the message of this conversation is just drink what you like that's my whole (laughs) message in general really for like if people are like i don't like whiskey Okay. <laughs> yeah. well, well, you're going to spend at least 40 minutes trying to convince them otherwise. But I try and push like cookies on them, being like, well, this is yeah. me. Try eating a cookie first and seeing if I can try, can, like, convert you that way. But yeah, I think that's the underlying thing is, yeah, try not to listen to the noise. Of, I think there's a lot of really educated people out there who are who educate people on spirits, but I think those people are the same people who are never going to tell you hey that whiskey's not worthy of you you know what I mean like those people who are really no whiskey will pretty much endorse all whiskey yeah um, you know in one way or another I mean there's, there's no like for me every there's something good about every single whiskey that I've tried it may not be my favorite whiskey mm-hmm. but like, you gotta just try it. experiment and yeah drink whatever you want 
Okay, we'll let you go now, but let's plug the bakery real quick. How did you come up with the idea, and how do people get your cookies? Um, a friend of mine and I, over the pandemic, we, like, I've always baked with whiskey. I've cooked with whiskey. You know, I together for companies that I work for. And uh, then, like, he said to me, he's like, you should start calling. Okay, I maybe should. How would I go about doing that? And then I started putting things online and then eventually just figured that's not the best. Like online cookie delivery is not a lot of fun. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's also expensive to ship. Yeah. So um, then I started doing farmer's markets last year. And farmer's markets I found because all whiskey shows were donezo. Um, I'm like, this is a, like a whiskey show. Like there's so many people who want to talk to you about your product. There's no, nobody's drunk here. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, right. but well, it, I was like, these are my people. So it was kind of fun. And then this year we just decided to, or I decided to kind of grow it and stop doing all the baking myself because I hated it. Um, <laughs> well, not fun. So thankfully now I have four wonderful bakers who help me every every week. And then I have market staff and I just drive to the Buy them at a farmer's market. You can also buy them online. Uh, but. Oh, great. Well, we'll put all that info in the show notes, yeah. of course. And uh, do you come up with all the recipes yourself, though? Yeah. yeah. So we now have, um, there's about seven cookies. We work with um, Maker's Mark, Median Club, Singleton, Hard Bags. Pretty much a lot of the stories that we mentioned today. Jameson's as well. And then we also have gin squares that are made with Whitney, Whitley Meal raspberry gin. They're really good. Uh, sorry, lemon squares. Mm. That's awesome. I'm gonna buy, I'm gonna buy some of this shit for sure. This is a great presence yeah, for yeah, <laughs> a presence that I will eat myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, Beth. Well, thank you so much for the conversation. That was a lot of fun. We appreciate you enduring this after a full day on the golf course in the oppressive heat. So <laughs> thanks very much. We appreciate you. I've had a great time. Thank you. And I'm going to send you some cookies. Oh, great. Even better. Thank you. <laughs> well, okay, well, we'll eat them live on the air so, <laughs> so you can get an extra plug. <laughs> Just don't give them a point system score. <laughs> That's right. I'm going to rank them, actually, in oh, a book. Guaranteed. It's odd. That, 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 hey, this is your project. My new, Our new project is going to be our, the Kip and Dan guide to uh, boozed up cookies. Us <laughs> versus cookie monster. Yeah. All right, Beth Havers, you're awesome. Thanks for doing this. We appreciate you. Thank you. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.